words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our salvation. Amen. The scene in the Sea of Tiberias is often what salvation looks like. The one who generates life from the nothingness of death. The one who left the empty tomb to fill his friends with hope shows up in our daily lives somehow both mundane and intense. The one whose love overcomes the cruelest disconnection, that one stands on the shore and says, try one more time. No one is expecting him, yet there he is present. He stands on the shore looking at his friend's emptiness, their struggle, their growing dismay, their experience of exhaustion, and he speaks to them, and they listen, and they are fed and filled. This is the love, capital L, that does not give up. The divine persistence communicated to us until we catch it, until we are caught, until we share it with others. This is not the only scene of salvation in the scripture today. In the stunning reading, the stunning telling of St. Paul's personal conversion, a murderer and a man who never once met Jesus of Nazareth when he was alive, Saul, is knocked off his horse by a divine vision, knocked off his horse by Christ. This Jesus, who makes another appearance no one was expecting. Christ asks Saul a searing question. Why do you persecute me? And of course, this is a a trick question in one way because there is no good answer. It's a trick question by the living word of God. There is no good answer, no good response, but to stop the persecution. Stop the hatred. Stop the cruelty. Stop the violence. And this is exactly what the man who was thrown from his horse Saul, now Paul, does. He stops the violence. Here again, the one who is pulls forth life from where only death seems to prosper. He frees hope from the shackles of hate and he redirects us from ruination. Back to the scene on the Sea of Tiberias, the all-night fishing, the listening to what the guy with the good vibes on the shore suggests, the proclamation 
the recognition of it is the Lord, the running through the waters, and then Jesus cooking fish for everyone. This scene, this whole action-packed scene is comforting on the deepest of levels. It's so comforting to imagine Jesus defeats death, finds his friends, gives them some good advice and encouragement, and then cooks for him, for them. It's so very tender. And all of them sitting around the open fire, eating that fish that Jesus has prepared, it's so very imaginable. When we think of Christ as being victorious over the grave, the images and the language that we use and have used are so often more triumphalist than tender. But here we have the tenderest of mercies. Once Jesus feeds them, he turns to Peter and asks him three times if he loves him. This is another act of healing, love, salvation. Jesus helps Peter heal from the three times that Peter denied Jesus during Jesus' trial, the three times that Peter denied Jesus before the cock crowed. First time Jesus asks, Do you love me? And Peter answers, Yes. The wound of betrayal heals just a little bit. The second time the resurrected Jesus asks, Do you love me? And Peter answers a little more boldly, Yes. The healing furthers. The third time Christ asks, do you love me? And Peter practically shouts back, Yes, you know everything. You know that I do. The healing is complete. In the New Testament, the primary meaning of salvation is transformation in this life. The roots of the word come from salve, which is a healing ointment. And salvation is very much about healing. One time I was walking across the street here, Holman Street, from the parking garage, um, the parking lot, and I was, for some reason, I don't remember why, extremely unhappy. I was preoccupied, I was worried, I felt alone, and my bearing showed it. Right at that moment, a man, a stranger, walked by singing, There is a Bomb in Gilead. It was like a cheesy scene from a movie, right? From a made-for-TV movie. I'm sad in this cue the kind stranger singing this well-known hymn. But it really happened. He saw me, and 
directly to me a verse and the chorus of the hymn I know so well. He's saying, sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in vain, but then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. I stopped and I listened and I was filled, nourished by a word of hope and a reminder of healing. You might sometimes feel like I did that day. In a world with so much violence and cruelty, it's impossible not to feel despair sometimes. And you might feel like the disciples with the empty nets, tired of trying with no seeming success. And you might need to hear the fullness, you might need to hear about the fullness of that net once Jesus said, try again. You might need to hear about the Jesus on the shore filling his friends with what they longed for. Now Jesus was not trying to be King Midas here and turn everything into gold for personal gain. Jesus did not fill those nets for the disciples to sell the fish and be rich, enriching themselves and their family. This is an abundance to feed community. It's an abundance of inclusive nourishment. And we are called to be like Christ, standing on the shore, a lighthouse, not a warehouse. A lighthouse of hope, not a warehouse of greed. We all have grown up wounded, writes Marcus Borg, and salvation is about healing the roots of existence. And the Bible has specific images of salvation. Salvation is about light in the darkness, liberation from bondage, return from exile, or reconnection with God. It's about our hunger being satisfied, our thirst being quenched, our nets being filled and not breaking. It's also about being thrown from our horses to course correct towards love, towards the way of God. Stephen Charleston, bishop in the Episcopal Church, wrote, Can I offer one reason, just one reason, for why I am hopeful about our future? Yes, I think I can. It is because love is stronger than we are. We can deny that we feel it, but love finds us, even in our most secure hideout. We can say love is over for us, only to have it return in its own good time. 
We can pretend it is only for the few in our lives until we turn the corner and meet a stranger who changes our mind. We may spend our lives trying to control love, but we never can. Love is as constant, eternal, and certain in our future as the first day we discovered it. There is no tomorrow where it cannot find us again. So today is May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, and it's not Mexican Independence Day or a celebration of Mexican beer, <laughs> despite the commercials. It's not a day primarily to get good deals on margaritas. It is a celebration of a victory, a short-lived victory, of the Mexican troops over the French in Puebla. It's really not celebrated very much in Mexico, but it was claimed decades ago as a celebration for the Mexican-Americans in California way to make something their own and to celebrate. The poet Lorna D. Cervantes, a fifth generation Californian of Mexican and Native American heritage, offers a picture of that love, of that resilience, of that hope in one of her poems about the destruction of a poor neighborhood. Las Casitas, the little houses near the gray cannery, nestled amid, amid wild hugs of climbing roses and man-made red geraniums are gone now. The freeway conceals it all beneath a raised scar. But under the fake wind sounds of the open lanes, in the abandoned lots below, new grasses sprout. Wild mustard remembers. Old gardens come back stronger than they were. Trees have been left standing in their yards and produce apricots, cherries, walnuts. Viejitas, older women, come back with paper bags to gather greens, spinach, parsley, mint, gathering nourishment gathering life in a place left for empty. And this is our mission as well. In the places left for empty, to find, to speak, to move towards light and love again in the name of Christ. Yesterday, a beloved young theologian died leaving an almost one-year-old and a three-year-old motherless, Rachel Held Evans. She wrote many, many words of hope, and her legacy will last a long time. In her book, Searching for Sunday, she wrote, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at the table or around a fire. Not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry 
they are thirsty, they are empty, and they said yes. So be a lighthouse on the shore. Remember to listen for Christ when you least expect it. Remember the word of hope in the Psalms today, that weeping may stay the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen.